Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, November 8th. What is the federal government doing to protect our economy against a looming recession? We catch up with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, for details of her conversation with Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, who discusses the government's plans to help Canadians facing financial hardship. According to President Joe Biden, democracy is on the ballot in the 2022 U.S. midterm elections. We discuss the importance of the elections taking place on Tuesday with Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Next, astronomers have observed what's being described as the sun smiling in recent pictures. Could this signal a warning for we earthlings? We hear details on the impact this change in the sun could have on telecommunications from astrophysicist Brian Keating. And finally, want to enjoy some great music for a good cause? We chat with Canadian country music icon Terry Clark, who brings us details on her upcoming Christmas show at the Jubilee Auditorium. Taking a fiscally responsible set of decisions to ensure that, come what may, we have the fiscal firepower to support Canadians. That was a clip from Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland on this week's episode of The West Block. Host and Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson joins us now to talk about it. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Hey, good morning. Okay, so federal government, what are they doing to try and protect us against this looming recession? Everybody says it's coming, and what do the feds say they're going to do to help us? Well, they won't really say it's coming. Um, They say that they don't accept that, that there's a possibility that there could be a soft landing, although they also say, yes, there is a possibility uh, of a recession. They've certainly been hinting uh, not to expect the kinds of social programs that people saw during COVID. Now, that said, they love to spend, so who knows Mm -hmm. when we actually end up in that scenario, uh, how they would react. But they've said things publicly like, we can't save everyone um, you know, from the economy. Whereas during COVID, they were saying, all Canadians, we have your back. So there's a change in messaging. There was a lot less spending um, in the fall fiscal update than there has been in the past. There wasn't signals of big new spending programs other than ones they've already committed to, like dental care. Uh, so there seems to be a bit of a change in tone. I did ask Christopher Freeland, are you looking at cutting back on some of the, the wasteful programs? Because look, federal governments are huge. It doesn't matter what country you're in. There are programs Program somewhere uh, that aren't doing something maybe you really need that might be not useful or dated or just uh, flat out shock when people discover they exist. Um, and are you looking at potentially cutting some of that spending? Because typically, if, you, if you're not going to give taxes a break, which they've said they're not going to to give people a break on what they're paying there, then are you going to find revenue that you're going to need as a government, let alone for more programs, just to keep doing what you're doing? by cutting some of that wasteful spending. Um, And then she gave an answer that has gone viral. Um, The deputy prime minister said that as a wife and mother, she checks her credit card statements and debit card statements and bank statements every month like everybody else does. And she noticed that her kids were watching Disney Plus and she said that they're not little anymore. And I know there will be um, some Disney Plus fans out there like like me too who have it and there's adult movies on there just so everyone knows. (laughs) But she said to her kids, you know, longer a child and we have to get rid of this um and that cut 13.99 according to her and that she knows that other mothers across canada are doing this and that this is how she's also going to basically cover cover um the government's finances but a lot of people got very upset about that comment they said that it shows that she's out of touch that for people who are struggling to put groceries on the table and pay their heating bills um cutting disney plus is not going to fix the inflation problem so she's taking quite a bit of heat for that yesterday she said she recognizes her own privilege um, but it's sort of everywhere living on the internet now.
Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought that myself as a parent in that that thirteen ninety nine a month might be an expense, but maybe you can't afford to put your kids in an art program for eighty dollars a month. Uh, a real bad look, and I don't think it's going to you know be wiped away anytime soon, Mercedes. Yeah, I think it's it's problematic because it fits into the stereotype that people have of the government that they are wealthy and out of touch, um, and that if someone who's making you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is saying I have to cut Disney Plus, mm-hmm. somebody who's making fifty thousand is saying, well, no kidding, what do you think life is like for me? Uh, and to your point as well, I saw some reaction from people who said, yes, it's thirteen ninety nine a month, but if you can't uh, afford to send your kids to movies or for them mm-hmm. to be going out to dinner or doing other things, that might actually be the most effective form of entertainment for them to stay home. Um, So certainly, I think by the look on her face when she was answering the question yesterday, she was aware that she'd kind of stepped in it. Mm. Uh, But the problem for the government is, you know, as soon as you kind of step into that parody that people have of you, even if it's coming from a place of saying, look, I I empathize because I too am trying to cut back, um, it it just came across, I think, uh, for a lot of folks as toned down. Mm -hmm. Switching gears a little bit, um, also talked about the the Green Initiative as well on the show this past weekend, and uh, perhaps the Prime Minister having to backtrack a little bit on some of the environmental promises and processes. Uh, how did that conversation go? Yeah, so um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ian Bremer on from um, the Eurasia Institute, and, and they're like this big global risk firm. And in fact, um, the Prime Minister's former principal secretary works for them, Jerry Butts, who is a, a art environmentalist. Um, And when Ian Bremmer told me that he thinks Justin Trudeau is going to have to take a few steps back politically on oil and gas, uh, and he's going to have to support the Canadian oil and gas sector more, uh, that really struck a nerve because I thought, wow, if Ian Bremmer is saying that, um, that's sort of out of character for his typical prognosis. So I'm really curious about this. And Ian Bremmer had brought up that he said even the Green Party in Germany is now advocating for fracked energy being imported. Now, obviously, Germany's in a really, really critical situation because they're close to Ukraine and they're going into winter and Russia's basically cutting off their energy. Um, so I put that question to Christian Freeland. She insists, you know, they are doing more um, to support the oil and gas sector, but there was there was not a lot of desire to go further than that, so far from what I could see in her answer. I mean, mind you, if they are going to do something like that, they usually tend to make it in a big announcement. They don't tend to say it to somebody like me on the show. Um, but, but it's a real political problem for them because there is a need in Ukraine. There's only so much we can move. She did say um, that the, the energy minister has promised an additional, I think it was 300,000 barrels of oil going out. Uh, don't quote me on that exact number. But it was, it was an increase that had been approved. Uh, but the question is, do they have to keep going in that direction? Um, and if they do, they're going to have to eat the political pro in Ontario on environment stuff. And if they don't, they're going to have a problem in Alberta, potentially a problem with international allies saying, look, you have the energy, give it to us. And then there's a longer-term systemic reality. We didn't build certain pipelines. So we can get more energy out, but even that right now is going to be limited by capacity in the short term for the crisis in Ukraine because we, we just don't have the additional lines to move stuff through. Uh, before we let you go, Mercedes, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, Christopher Freeland saying maybe cancel Disney Plus. That's something that could, you know, it's viewing. Uh, the viewing that you want to get on board with is the Emergencies Act inquiry because it doesn't end. It's like Survivor <laughs> Season 40. It uh, is, it's popcorn, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like no, this my, is better entertainment than anything I've seen in the long time. Yeah, <laughs> my gosh. And you, you uh, on your Twitter had mentioned uh, that CSIS actually warned, CSIS came forward to warn the government that the Emergencies Act would radicalize protesters and push them toward violence. Tell us about this. 
Yeah, so this is one of the concerns that came up from CSIS when the government was debating what to do. Um, and there was a concern that sort of saying that might play into the hands of some of the more radical people and that that might scare people or anger people who might otherwise not be violent. Um, and that CSIS was worried it was really playing into the narrative and you wanted to de-escalate and that could escalate it. It was a debate the police were having as well when we were here. It was a debate that we were having being on the ground, right? What's going to happen when they call in the emergency act? Is it going to clear it out or is it going to push people over the edge? Um, at the end of the day, thankfully, that's not what happened. There wasn't, you know, a ton of violence. There wasn't a huge amount of fighting. The police were able to clear things relatively peacefully. Uh, I was at G8, G20. Uh, for, for people who think that this looked anything like that, it was a very um, calm, clear police operation. G8, G20, there was a huge amount of violence. It was quite different. Um, so thankfully, they didn't radicalize and become violent. Uh, but that was very much a, a concern in the intelligence and policing community that while the Emergencies Act might allow them to clear the streets, it might also um, cause people to get angry enough to do something that they wouldn't have otherwise done. Mercedes, we could talk to you all day. You you never get stumped. You answer <laughs> so all of our questions. Always a great convo. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block, which re-airs Sundays at 11 a.m. right here on 770 CHQR. It is election day in the U.S. where voters are casting ballots in the critical midterms deciding which party will control Congress for the next two years. Global's Reggie Cicchini joins us now with more details on it. Of course, he's Washington correspondent for Global News. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. Uh, going into today, um, how do the polls look and where do things stand? Well, I mean, look, the polls are showing that Republicans are likely going to make some kind of a gain, uh, either by day's end or in the days or weeks to come, likely by taking control of the U.S. House. And what that potentially could do is open up uh, a number of investigations into issues that Republicans have been grieving for the last couple of years. Polls are a little more split when it comes to how control over the Senate is going to look. There are a couple of key races, Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Arizona. Uh, they could become crucial for Democrats if they want to try and maintain some control and not kind of lose everything to the Republicans, because at the end of the day, any kind of Republican gain in Washington is ultimately going to slow down or potentially stop the president from being able to get his agenda to move forward. Reggie, how long does it take to find out who the actual winners are of, of some of the closer races? Well, look, in Pennsylvania, uh, it could take a couple of days, and that's because Pennsylvania doesn't allow for any of the mail-in or early voting to be counted until Election Day. Uh, and that means that there are thousands upon thousands of ballots that won't be able to be opened up uh, until pretty much now. It could take time for that to, uh, to be counted. In Georgia, if there is a uh, less than 50% gained by both Senate candidates, that means it goes into a runoff. So Georgia might not be decided until something like the middle of December, if not early January. So we'll get a better idea by the next couple of days as to just how kind of big a potential Republican win has been. But control, especially in the Senate, that could be weeks and weeks away still. Reggie, we do know from reading the headlines and following the storylines over the past several months that there are hundreds of candidates running who back Donald Trump, who believe uh, and believed uh, when he had mentioned that the uh, you know results of the 2020 election were falsified. So do we know if they'll be willing to accept the results that come down after today? 
I mean, some of them have said that, yes, they will accept the results. I think we have to wait to find out. You know, the election won't be rigged if the uh, Republicans win. Will the election be rigged if the Republicans lose? That is something we'll have to watch for over the next couple of days. But this becomes problematic down the road. And that's because some of the people who are running on these ballots that claim that 2020 was stolen, that 2022 potentially could be stolen, are gearing up to become secretary of state. And they could win in some of those states like in Arizona. Those secretaries of state are the ones who are in charge of elections. So by 2024, you will have full out election deniers being in charge of how elections are carried out. And this is a real concern for Democrats that it could get in the way of people's um, rights to be able to cast a ballot if there are so many people winning who are actually questioning how the election system works. And I'm curious if Donald Trump's announcement yesterday that he's going to make an announcement next week, does it play into the hands of Republicans? Is that a bonus for them? Well, it potentially could be. If Republicans make big gains, Donald Trump will see himself as a kingmaker and try to put himself as the, you know, the continued top of the party, despite the fact that there are some within the Republican Party that would like to see somebody, potentially Ron DeSantis, move forward uh, and take the nomination away from Donald Trump. But if Republicans don't do as well, that could also become problematic for Donald Trump because people below him may say, well, look, it didn't go as well as we wanted with Trump. Maybe we need to go somewhere else. At the end of the day, making the announcement today could have been problematic for the former president, holding off a little bit, keeps Republicans on their toes. It allows him to gauge the waters a little bit, find out where things are. But at the same time, it allows him to get people to fall in line, especially if he is the one who chose them to be the nominee going into today's race. Going to be a busy one for you today, Reggie. Looks like a long day ahead. We appreciate the update. Thanks. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini, a Washington correspondent for Global News. Why is the sun smiling and why could this potentially signal problems for the planet's telecommunication system? Joining us to talk about it is Brian Keating, astrophysicist at the University of California, San Diego's Center for Astrophysics and Space Sciences and host of Into the Impossible podcast. Our uh, own Maurice Schaefer had a chance to check in with Brian and ask him some questions. New images of the sun appear to show the stars smiling. So why could this signal problems for the planet's telecommunication system? Joining us to discuss this morning is Brian Keating, astrophysicist at the University of California, San Diego's Center for Astrophysics and Space Science. And he's also the host of the Into the Impossible podcast. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's it's great to be with you. All right, so for the listening audience, can you kind of describe this picture of the sun and how how it's actually smiling almost as it appears? Yeah, it looks like it's smiling. The actual eyes and the mouth of the jack-o'-lantern-like sun appear because of truly deep scientific reasons. So it's not an accident. It's not an it's not an optical illusion. It's really happening. The mm-hmm. sun is an active star. It's undergoing violent processes all the time. It's undergoing the conversion of about 40 million tons of hydrogen into helium every wow. second. And that is um, uh, that is a very violent process. And sometimes it has activity associated with magnetic fields that cause uh, different regions on its surface to be slightly colder than other regions. And this gives it the strange appearance of darkness uh, when contrasted literally against the brighter surface temperature surrounding it. So what is causing this change in temperature that we're seeing in the sun that's causing these spots? Yeah, they're enormous versions of sunspots. So sunspots are just a tiny bit colder than the uh, average temperature of the surface of the sun, which is about 5,700 degrees Celsius. 
And the sunspots, or these giant magnetic coronal holes, as they're called, uh, are only a couple hundred degrees colder than that 5,700 degrees Celsius number. And because the contrast is so high, we see that as black. But um, but those regions truly are colder and it partially associated with the fact that they have enormous magnetic fields coursing through them, many billions of times stronger than the Earth's magnetic field. What makes you concerned about these sunspots and what does this tell you about the health of our sun? Yeah, the sun is a mysterious ball of glowing hot gas and we still have much that we don't know about it. In particular, we don't know what causes it to have these magnetic fields that lead to these colder regions that are perceived as these cold coronal holes. So one thing that can happen with these uh, with the solar activity is that it can shoot out massive amounts of material in the form of protons, which are just the nucleus of hydrogen atoms, and they can find their way to the Earth and they're traveling at a good fraction of the speed of light. And when they hit the Earth, they can sometimes be deflected by the magnetic North Pole, say, and they can enter our atmosphere and excite molecules in the atmosphere. And you guys up there in Canada, I've never seen one down here in San Diego, but uh, I assume that your listeners have seen it up there quite frequently. And you see it as beautiful aurora, the aurora borealis. We don't ever get to see that because the magnetic field is farther away from us of the Earth. So um, these could, in extreme conditions, blast through the magnetic protective blanket of the Earth and penetrate to the surface of the Earth where they could distort, disturb, and completely destroy telecommunications abilities, including satellite communications, including GPS and Starlink. So this could be devastating. Now, this hasn't happened in 150 years or so. So Are we overdue for one? Yes, we are overdue for one, but it's not clear at all how likely it is to happen in Mm. any given year. It's certainly not likely to occur from this particular solar storm that produced these coronal holes. The danger has passed from those. But we should be on the lookout, especially those of us that happen to be the proprietors of very, very excellent radio broadcasting transmission towers. Yes, exactly. So when we look at like a solar flare or something saying we're overdue, is there something that you know, our telecommunication system should be doing to protect itself against this inevitability? Yes, we should be, but we're not. Uh, We could take precautions as they do in other countries to protect our transformers, our power transformers that um, regulate the electrical currents and the surges, basically like a giant surge protector. Um, We don't do as good a job of that here in the North American region of the planet as they do in, say, Asia or even in Europe. So, uh, yes, if I had my way, we'd divert a lot of our budget. Maybe it would only cost a few billion dollars uh, for all of North America to have massive shunting systems that could protect against the so-called Carrington event type phenomena that we're long overdue for. But Unfortunately, I don't think many people are looking at this right now. So when you look at images of the sun, do we have much warning for an event like this? If we look and we say, oh, no, this is coming. Yeah, we do. Uh, Thankfully, they don't travel at the speed of light. If these uh, disturbances traveled at the speed of light, we'd only have eight minutes Mm. warning. Uh, And actually, we wouldn't have any warning. They would just hit us. But because they travel very fast, but much, much slower than the speed of light, we have days to protect ourselves. So maybe, yes, maybe we could shut down. But, you know, it's kind of hard to shut down a nuclear reactor Mm. uh, and cool it down in time to, you know, completely unplug it from your power grid so it doesn't experience a surge. Uh, So for now, uh, we're kind of, that's the most basic precautionary resource but of course we couldn't protect a satellite in orbit uh, you know that's pr- pr- providing GPS so we would be in a lot of trouble if it happened right now very interesting thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this morning Brian
It's a pleasure, Reese. You have a great rest of your day and stay safe and keep looking at those Aurora for me. All right. Thanks, Brian. That was Brian Keating, astrophysicist at the University of California's San Diego Center for Astrophysics and Space Science, also the host of the Into the Impossible podcast. For 770 CHQR, I'm Reese Schaefer. Canadian country music legend Terry Clark coming to Calgary and be rocking the stage for a good cause this Christmas. Terry Clark joins us now for all the details. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good, good. We want to get in the Christmas spirit and we want to get there as early as possible. You're coming uh, just a little less than a month before taking the stage November 29th at the Jubilee Auditorium. Tell us about the show. What can people expect? Well, you know, I have not had an opportunity to tour around my Christmas album that came out in 2020. As you can imagine, there was Mm. no touring going on then. So this is the first opportunity that we've had to kind of try out this Christmas show. And it's it's all new music to me as an artist, although I've been listening to it my whole life, as we all have been listening to a lot of these songs. So... You know, it's it's a challenge. It's challenging me as a guitar player and, and my band. My, my bass players play upright bass, and he's kind of learning a whole new instrument. And you know, we are really excited about uh, getting out and getting people in the Christmas spirit. It's going to be a fun show. I made this album with the Time Jumpers, who are legendary around Nashville. So it's got a very Western swing um, jazz feel to it. So it's got a unique sound, and we're excited about recreating that for the folks up in uh, Western Canada. So, um, and hopefully, you know, if this keeps going as well as it has been doing and, and everybody seems excited about it, we'll get to do a more extended Christmas tour at some point and go to other parts in Canada as well. Awesome. The, well, the pandemic threw a wrench into everything. So we're glad that you're, you're back touring and bla- back playing music for us. So, so you're, you're playing the classics with your own twist or is this, you know, some of your own personal Christmas music? There's one original song on the album that I didn't write. I just love the song by um, Dave Gleason and Aaron Enderlin called Cowboy Christmas. And it just kind of fit, it fit the theme of the, of the album and the way and the sound. So I, I put that one on there. But otherwise, I mean, these are, these are the songs that, that most people have been hearing their whole lives. And it's really hard to put a new twist on something that's been done so much. So that was why I really wanted to do this album um, make it special by by collaborating with a group like the Time Jumpers, or, who are so great at arrangements and musical hooks and um, all these gang licks and stuff that just happen throughout the whole song. It's, it's almost got a big band feel with a Western vibe, and, and that's what's so exciting to me about it. It's musically, the arrangements just don't get any better. Those guys did such a great job. Terry, as mentioned, when we brought you in, you know, uh, bringing Christmas spirit to Calgary, we like that. We love to hear you live and the music uh, for the holidays, but also for a great cause. You're teaming up with the Calgary Children's Foundation. Why was that important to you, and why is it an important organization for you to support? Well, obviously, you know, uh, me being from Western Canada and living in Calgary for not my whole life, I, I grew up mostly in Medicine Hat, but... Um, you know, seeing a community come together for a cause like that is wonderful. And Christmas is for kids. I mean, if you can't, if you can't, I don't have kids myself, but I mean, it, it's the season, especially to think about children and, and give what you can to any organization that that helps kids. And I, uh, and when you're helping kids, you're also helping their parents and and everybody in their lives. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, effort. 
So very true. You know, proud Albertan, you said it yourself. How important is it for you to come home from the U.S., hit your home province and entertain us once again after, you know, a long break, really, thanks to COVID? Well, it, it has been a while since I've done an actual tour. I think 2016 was my last cross-Canadian uh, headline tour. And like we're only doing 13 of these shows. Um, but I am always so excited to come back to Alberta, where it all started, where my dream was born, and, and singing, singing Reba McIntyre and Judd's songs in the basement in Medicine Hat to, to coming all the way to Nashville and then coming back up to do shows. It's, very, it's a very full circle moment for me and the calgary jubilee auditorium holds a really special place in my heart because my mom let me skip school (laughs) when i was in grade 10 in medicine hat to go and see the judds and i took a greyhound bus and my aunt met me on the other end because she lives in calgary and i was allowed to actually miss a day of school so i could go see the judds play the jubilee and i thought someday i'm going to be up on that stage so there's there's a there's a bit of a full circle moment yes. just playing that venue for me. And, um, yeah, it just it feels wonderful coming home. And I also want to add, people are going to hear some of my hit songs, too. I'm not just playing Christmas music. So they're going to hear No Fear and Northern Girl yeah. and uh, Better Things to Do and, and all of that as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's about half and half. Um, you know, so it's, it's going to be a good mixture for people. Thank you so much for joining us. Alberta superstar Terry Clark live at the Jubilee Auditorium, November 29th. Can't wait to see you back on stage here in Alberta. And thank you also for supporting the Calgary Children's Foundation. Can't wait to see you play, Terry. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait to come and play for you guys. Have a great day.